Racism in the United States has been a difficult topic to breach for those in and outside the world of sports. Discussing race and racism often makes people uncomfortable, and yet the evidence that racism endures is overwhelming. Today on The Sideline, Dr. G and Meg define some key terms related to race and discuss them in light of how they can affect the sport experience. How do we do better as administrators, coaches, parents, and teammates? Dr. G and Meg continue their discussion on racial theories, ideas, and practices, and how they can inform sport workers and athletes. Our hosts discussed key topics such as racial equity versus equality, institutional racism, and interest convergence in sports. How can we make sports a more equitable place for all people and engage in anti-racism? Tune into this episode of The Sideline to find out what these terms mean and how we can move towards a more equitable future in sports. This is Sport Knowledge. Racial equality. Um, Obviously, this is not having any difference between any race in any way. You can think of equality as being equal Mm -hmm. and equity as being more fair and what accommodates and what would be better alignment with somebody's needs. See, I think that's I think that's a really big distinction. The, the, the equality aspect of this is interesting to me because if you're talking about one to one to one, right, right. doesn't that throw other equality out the window? Like other aspects of equality? So it's hard, um, right? How do I how do I measure equality? Is it everybody has the same opportunity? Is it the population in you know, by race or by any other measure should equal the larger society's population. Are there, you look at it like in football and say, okay, well, 80% of the participants in college are black, 5% or 10% or uh, Hispanic, Latino, uh, and then, uh, you know, other or white, you know, is another pop- another percentage, 10 8% or so, you know, give, come, give me a break on getting to 100%. But you could say, okay, well, then does it make sense that the coaches are 80% white? If they're only 20% of the athletes for the last 20 years, yeah. does it really make sense that, you know, we just have a, a mass flux of white coaches and, and administrators and owners compared to, you know, in football and basketball, overwhelmingly black participants for the last 20, 30 years? Participants or do we change the – and why and how and I mean that's a really complex statement. Fair and equal can be tricky. Yeah, I think a more equitable thing too, right? Like if I in equal, like and we're talking about race on a team or something like that. Equity can be more. Let me help give you the right instruction, the right equipment. Let me give you the nutrition or the training that you need let's do these drills to make you faster or throw the ball harder if i if i was equal i'd just be giving everybody the same thing mm-hmm. well if, if you're faster than me already if you're already fast or if you're already having an opportunity you don't need that you need something else so we want to think about well how does equality within this dyad or group or something matter on a team versus equity in terms of you know, providing what somebody is going to need to excel or to improve at Cal, there was a big, a uh, lot of buzz about the fact that um, the affirmative action program. Let's also keep in mind in this instance that for hundreds of years, white folk in the U.S. have had an advantage. And they, they took that advantage and set up 
laws, policies, institutions, and wealth, Jim, we call it, right, generational wealth, to favor them. Now, of course, we have poor white folk. We got poor everybody. We got poor, we got a variety. But in this instance, too, it's like the Supreme Court, too. Oh, well, we have a couple of women on the Supreme Court. When, when is it going to be enough? When all of you know, a good response, and I don't know if it was Ruth Bader Ginsburg or somebody else that said, when all of them are women, we'll have enough. It, it, we don't, we never questioned, right? When they were all white men, we never questioned that. So, okay, well, why don't we wait until you get all women on there? And then, you know, when, once we're there, we'll start to question it. You know, now all of a sudden, when the tide starts to turn, we really want to question it to, again, why to slow down maybe progress or to limit opportunities. Now, right, not in all instances and cases, and you want everybody, but everybody did not have institutional racism. Everybody did not have a lack of opportunity over many years. And so if, if I'm living in that area and I've got my kids there and I want them to be able to play sports and have opportunity, are they facing racist policies or institutional racism over time that is going to inhibit them? Probably not, right? It's not their skin color that's going to hold them back. And so in that case, don't make a big deal. Don't make a case about the, the woe is me or wait a minute now, the numbers are starting to shift. Look also, and let's examine, is it actually race, though, that's holding them back? Or is race the limiting factor for their progress, in, in this case, in sport? My problem with the affirmative action uh, situation was that there were kids that wouldn't stay because we didn't prepare everyone equally. And yet we put everyone equally into this college and it didn't stick. I mean, people failed out. It, it just it wasn't the right um, solution um, by just saying, let's just put, you know, 10, 10, 10, 10, instead of looking at, you know, how are we going to get to that in a more natural and, and sustaining way? Well, and you can't just plop them in there. You can't just write it. I mean, you think about segregation, uh, desegregation in the South too. And what a, you know, really traumatic experience. I'm thinking about, right. If you're desegregation or you're putting in you talked about putting in uh, people of color in this case, it may be into white institutions or starting to have affirmative action or quotas, right, to diversify. Well, you have to look at also, right, what happened before to prepare folks for college or for whatever institution, as well as when they're there. And so it's very, uh, I can tell you, working in universities now for, you know, 11, 20 years, really, that there is an interest in diversifying and being more inclusion and, and having more folks of color there. But if you're a token person of color, if, if you're constantly looked at as something lesser or they're finding subtle ways again, to give you bad marks or they don't like, you know, you're professional. You're not the way your hair is not professional because you've got, you know, dreads or a, braids or an afro your hair is different than ours it's unprofessional you know and they and they give them bad evaluations you know or you're not work you're trying to get work up the food chain so to speak and, and become an administrator and do other well you have to have an institution that really embraces it and you have to have instructors then and training for instructors too and people will talk about not that people just learn differently but different group settings in the classroom can enable 
other cultures that are more maybe family oriented or more community based to do more group projects versus, you know, harsh disciplinary practices, uh, judgments about uh, their own so-called, you know, ability to do some sort of work too. People don't like to get, they, we're getting into the weeds of the conversation, but, um, you know, you can look up too for folks that are doing more research, right? Like a prison to school, a school to prison pipeline. When people of color get in trouble and get disciplined, they get it disciplined at higher rates. They end up getting to juvenile or there's a, they go to um, in front of the judge and they go see a racist judge and the judge sends them to prison. You know, I lived in Mississippi. This happened when I was living there, you know, and so it's not just a, oh, well, they couldn't cut it sort of thing. Right. And those are the sort of kind of like subtle racist tropes that happen. Right? Like, oh, well, it just wasn't for them. You know, like, no, no, no. Let, let's actually stop and analyze this thing and do a little bit more research than, you know, well, we tried it. It didn't work. So get them back out of here. You know, that's the subtle sort of racist beliefs that exist still to this day. And that is white privilege. So let's talk about white privilege, okay? The concrete benefits of access to resources and social rewards and the power to shape the norms and values of society, which whites receive unconsciously and consciously by virtue of their skin color and a racist society. Good book definition. Uh, So I'll I'll do the easy one. I'll do the simple definition. The simple definition is privilege is a unearned asset. It's something that you do not do, but you have benefited as a result. So we can think of maybe privilege or discrimination as being related, but kind of opposite at a simple kind of level, right? I can, I can be harmed or be discriminated and pushed out, or I can be privileged and benefit and be included in different ways. And so uh, for me, one of the best uh, sources, and it's pretty common in, in uh, you know, academia, is uh, Peggy McIntosh's work where she referred to white privilege as an unearned knapsack of benefits, like a backpack. Mm-hmm. Right? So you're walking around the world. And in my case, I've never gone into, and she came up with a variety of things, a variety of statements to make it kind of widely or, or more way very obvious that there was the difference in racial experiences in the world. Mm-hmm. Have you ever gone to a store and been profiled or followed in the store? Um, Have you gone into the store and been able to find flesh color Mm band-aids? Have you gone into the store and and been able to find hair care products that meet your needs? Mm -hmm. Have you gone into, have you opened up a book or a magazine and seen people that look like you? When you go through the halls of universities, corporations, businesses, and they have you know, the founders on the wall, do they look like you? When you look at the, you know, this was a great one recently. When you look at the presidents and the vice presidents in the United States over time, do you see anybody that looks like you? How about Barbie? Barbie dolls. Yeah, well, they started to do more. Now that now they are, but for a long time, you couldn't. No, that's right. Yeah, all the dolls you played with were. I thought, I thought we weren't going to go into Jen. Now we're going to talk about emphasized femininity and, and the fragile female, female body and gender norms there. Be white. Say that, say, oh, pause it, say that again, because you you, I think you might have got cut out on that one. So Barbie is white. I'm talking about race. 
We're not talking yes. about gender yet. We'll get into that too. Barbie, we'll come back and visit. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. I, 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 am, I am terrified you're going to bring props. I might. Yeah, I know you might. <laughs> All right. So, All right, white so, privilege. So, right? Let's put yeah. white privilege in sport for me, please. Yeah, you can think about it, right? In, in some ways, almost like stereotypes. There's positive stereotypes and negative stereotypes. Stereotypes are just the exaggeration of uh, what we think about a group of people. Um, privilege, white privilege. When I go apply for a job, and I've applied for various jobs and coaching and talked to other coaches, I've never been concerned that my skin color was going to prohibit me from getting a job. Right? People of color worry about those things. They think about those things. There's research that shows the name, your name on a resume can affect if you get an interview or final, final, you know, waitlisted or finalized for a position. You know, yeah. they've done research comparing like different colorized or racialized names or genderized names too, gender names, um, and, and the same kind of qualifications and low makes a difference. Rex, Bob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joe, whatever, Mike. All right. So, um, well, let me ask you, because this is kind of interesting, and I, I just thought of it, and it probably is not worth saying, but um, you go in for a coaching job, and your skin is not really, con you're not concerned about your, your color. Now, you go in as a basketball coach, I mean, as a basketball player, you're trying to uh, you know, get drafted or do you then think about your color being a negative? So in this case, it could be a privilege you know, or more. It's, it's more of an asset. It could help you, right? That you well, have a, like- Getting a coaching job, yes. But if you are a white basketball player, is that going to give you privilege or is it going to give you the opposite? It could, right? it could be associated with a, a negative stereotype. And that, yes, right? The, much more, the percentage of black athletes is much higher in some sports. So if yeah. you're a white athlete in those sports, are you then, is, is the opposite happening there? Right, it could. I think, I think hypothetically, I think it's worth, uh, now it's not a group thing too, right? But right, we can take the, I like to write the movies, we take a white man can jump, right? If a five foot, you know, 10, you know, stocky white guy shows up, is the basketball coach going to be really excited to you know get that kid out there? No, but if if a six foot three, you know, black man walks out to the court, the coach might be more excited. Same thing as if, I don't care if they see a seven foot tall anybody, they're going to get super excited, you know. But yeah, in that case, in that case, does the individual have maybe a negative stereotype, yeah. and is going to be negatively impacted by that? Quite possibly, yes. But in the context of this too, we want to keep in mind kind of the overall group or generalizations or kind of norms as a whole in society too. You know, but yes, in individual cases, I don't think that's outlandish to, to have it work in a sort of opposite sort of way. I want to, in football and in the literature too, there's a sort of kind of token or a glass ceiling for black male football coaches, for example. And that they often look for coaches. So right in that case, they're privileged or they, they have this sort of, there's another phrase, I don't, I don't want to say it before I forget it, called interest conversions. It's kind of a, it sounds a little fancy, but 
what's happening in these cases is let's say there's a white head coach that is looking to diversify, so to speak, their staff, but they also want to have a black man on staff that can go recruit other black male football players. Now, what, what happens though is that coach might experience a glass ceiling that kind of stops them right there. Maybe he stays in this, as an assistant coach. Maybe they give him an associate coach title. Maybe he can make it as a coordinator, but he might not ever get an opportunity to actually not just interview, but get a head coaching position because he is limited to a very strict role as the recruiter. You know, like, well, you're not smart enough to become, or you're not, you can't manage the, the totality of becoming the head coach. So we're just going to keep you down in this role. Now, the term I said that earlier was interest convergence. So what happens in this case, you get a little bit of you know, desegregation and you get some uh, bringing in and inclusivity, right? But it's an interest convergence. The white, in this case, the white head coach's interest is improved. And so is this black coach when they converge on the white head coach's desires, his wants, right? So I want something. It's in my interest. Oh, it's in your interest to also get a job too. Our interests have converged and now I'll lift you up a little bit, but you're going to stay a little bit underneath the top dog role as the owner, head coach, general manager. You're limited right there. Our interests have not converged enough to remove that barrier Mm -hmm. to where then they've got more opportunities. And this, this probably um, coincides with what you were talking about earlier when you were talking about um, uh, token. Token hire, yeah. But yeah, you hire a one person mm-hmm. to diversify, so-called diversify. That's not diversity. Yeah. You, know, you, you hire one person to check the box and move on. You're not fully, it'd be like a university too. We did it, we did it, we, we brought in, you know, we can say that we have them, but you're really not looking at a system-wide change and really embracing the spirit of it, you're just kind of doing one little thing. It actually happens a lot in, um, I see it in strength conditioning with, you know, oftentimes a female strength conditioning coach hire, but you don't want to talk about that. No, I don't, because we're going to be talking about that later. So you definitely don't want to miss our next episode when we're talking about that. But, um, okay, so that takes care of uh, diversification a little bit too. I think that, I think most people understand that, that diversification is, is basically, you know, spreading, spreading the wealth in a way. Um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, white framing. Mm-hmm. So white framing mm-hmm. is white racial framing provides the vantage point from which European American oppressors have long viewed North American society. In this racial framing, whites have combined racial stereotypes, the cognitive aspect, metaphors and interpretive concepts, the deeper cognitive effect, image, the visual effect, emotions, which are feelings, and inclinations to discriminatory actions. White framing is, and we talked about Dr. Fagan earlier uh, in his book, The White Racial Frame, excellent book, um, most comprehensive and concrete from slavery to civil rights to Jim Crow to current uh, 
troubles with banking industry. You know, we've given examples already here in sports and um, how we don't have representation of uh, people of color in different positions. So the white racial frame was a, we, we call this in higher ed, a theoretical framework or a theory. It's a, it's, in, it's a way of knowing, it's a way of seeing something, right? And so it's like, I like to use the metaphor of putting on glasses, okay? And if you put on the glasses and you see the world through the white racial frame, what, what he's trying to do is explain how white people have been socialized over years. Trained. Trained, right? Trained is a good white right? You don't really, you're not really consciously aware of it. It happens right. subtly. Mm-hmm. You have this white racial frame that like you put on these kind of white paint tinted glasses and you see the world through this European oppressor, racist, et cetera, lens. Now, we can go back to earlier when we chatted about, well, I'm a, as an individual, I'm not racist. I, again, it's, it's not about individuals per se. It's about entire groups of people, including individuals at various levels, having this kind of racist history, ideology, and being just inundated with messages, pictures, movies, videos, cartoons, everything. I mean, and when you think about it, you know, in racist mascots, it really, it's really hard to fathom nowadays too how white folks, it's white folks that are standing up, you know, standing up for their history and their culture. But it, again, that, that's what we're talking about is that it's a systematic racist culture that is harming other people and making fun of them. And it hurts them socially, emotionally, financially, psychologically. That is, that is something that we have got to overcome really and do a better job at moving on to those things, you know, and, and not listening and understanding. And I've, I've recommended this book to so many people recently in the past year and they won't, you know, you can tell, have you read it? Have you read it? Have you read it? And if you're resistant to even reading it and trying to understand, you're at like a pre-contemplative psychological state, you know, like you're so not ready for it. And it's just, it's frustrating because the evidence is so clear and overwhelming Mm -hmm. that you're just like, wow, you know? Well, and there was a sample, there was an example of this recently, wasn't there, of, of, in sport. So, the, and, I, and we, we, we've chatted a little bit about this, Megan. Uh, Hank Aaron recently passed away. Uh, great, obviously, baseball player, humanitarian, philanthropist. Um, from all accounts that I've ever read and heard, he was one of my favorite players as a kid. You know, I used to have some Hank Aaron baseball cards. Just an outstanding human being. Uh, but he was, at the time, when he was getting ready to break Babe Ruth's home run, home run record, he was receiving up to apparently 3,000 pieces of mail and threats daily. Had FBI protection, you know, and, and at times right back in those days, um, himself and other people of color weren't even allowed to stay in the team hotel. Yeah. You know, right. they, they, and, and then you had the red book and all that. But mm-hmm. so when he passed away on social media, I saw a response from a white baseball player that started off pretty well. And when you read the full thing, it struck me as, wow, there is some really deep white racial framing going on here. Okay, so this, the tweet 
started with, I can't imagine what Hank Aaron went through in his lifetime. I think that's a great start of trying to understand, putting yourself in somebody else's shoes, a sense of kind of empathy and what that person's life was like. I can't imagine what they went through, right? And, and I look back to the history of time and I can't imagine what folks went through too compared to today's time. And, and again, they'll be saying that in 100, another 100 years. Yeah. The next sentence goes on to say, he had every right to be angry or militant, dot, 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 but never was, exclamation point. Maybe so publicly. This is, publicly, in most cases, you know, Hank Aaron did not give the impression, give the expression that he was angry or militant. Now, behind the scenes and in different interviews and that, he was very angry. I mean, nobody wants to experience overt or subtle racism. Nobody wants that. And in this case, we've got a white player in this sort of kind of judging tone, like he had every right to do that, but he never was. And it's, it's not that it, it sounds complimentary too. And I want to acknowledge that too, that right, he had every right to be angry or militant, but he never was. Well, one, right, he was, it's not entirely accurate. And it also just doesn't kind of get to the root of things. It doesn't go deep enough to understanding, wait a minute, he shouldn't have had to experience these things. And if these injustices, yes, they've changed and they're not as bad as they were, but they have not gone away completely. There are other injustices, racial injustices and policies and laws and prejudices that still exist. Okay, so it's just the, the phrasing there could have been a, a little bit better, but he never was. He spread his grace on everything and everyone he came in contact with. Epitome of class and integrity, rest in peace, you know, Henry Aaron. In that case, right, it becomes this sort of, it's okay. You can kind of accept racism if you do it with class, if you don't get angry about it, right? You're not allowed to be the angry black woman, the angry black man. You're not allowed to overtly express your frustration and anger. Don't make too much trouble. You know, if you just wait your time and do it the right way, you know, these things will get better. And th that's not how it worked. Mm -hmm. That doesn't reflect the actual struggle and the death and uh, indignity that, in this case, people of color, Black people faced. Mm -hmm. and, and so in terms of expressing one's appreciation and sending more nuance, I don't like the word nuance, it's, it sounds too academic, but just a better way to say it. But what an opportunity for a learning, op what a great learning opportunity. So that, yeah. that's all. And so as we look at that tweet, how would we rephrase it? Yep. I think to, again, so one is you don't have to, you don't have to, or you could just, you know, say something a little bit more generic without doing the real work. But Go back and read the books. Go back and look at uh, the history of the Negro League and integration. Uh, go look at Jackie Robinson's experiences. And Jackie was not a happy guy. You know, he was not. And he was told to calm down and be a little bit more friendly so white folk will be happier. 
and they won't get so upset about it. Um, so go back to and study those things and say, you know what? He overcame so much racism and he did it with such class. Yeah. But we have more work to do. But we have to carry on that tradition. We have to continue to remove barriers and obstacles. We have to look at opportunities and help other young men of color have those opportunities as well. You know, we have to go back and understand why at that time white folk were not happy about him beating Babe Ruth's record. Yeah. Why? Why? Why would people be so vengeful and filled of hate about a black man beating a home run record, right? Like you think about in more recent times when somebody goes to beat, when somebody goes to beat a record, you know, when, when Drew Brees or Tom Brady sets a record, who's going to win if all oh, Peyton Manning's in there and they might break his record and all oh, look at, and we're all excited and we're watching and we're enthusiastic about it. But in this case, you had thousands of, or maybe even millions of white folk hating this guy and threatening his life. Like talk about that a little bit and the, the white racists and how we still have some of these white racial framing. We still have some of these things deeply embedded inside of us and in society that are continuously showing us these messages and those sorts of things. Yeah. Well, that's the perfect entrance to the last term we're going to talk about, which is white supremacy. So this is, this is a, if this doesn't make you nervous, yeah. I don't know. Um, so the, the definition of this is the belief that white people constitute a superior race and should therefore dominate society, typically to the exclusion or detriment of other racial and ethnic groups, in particular, Black and Jewish people. So you're right. And in today's age, again, and I want you should know, too, just again, pause and reflect when you feel something. And this is why you have to listen to emotions and pause, because your emotions tell you something about the world. They tell you about yourself. They tell you about other people. We often in sports, right, we like to say, don't be so emotional or you have to control your emotions. And at times it makes sense. Yeah. But, but other times, like, like just pause and listen, why, why does the phrase white supremacy, does that set your hair on edge? If it does, why is that? So in this case, we can think about, you know, white supremacists as being, again, Klan members or, you know, Hitler and the Holocaust or white folks coming in and, and really taking land from Native Americans and then labeling them as savages. There, that is a my white race is superior than your race of color or your ethnicity, your Jewish heritage and religion, right? Now we might write, and that's a really kind of funny one, isn't it, right? Because they're all white, they were all white. They're all, you know, Europeans, African, um, Asian, you know, Middle Eastern, you know, they're all from around that area, you know, but, uh, your ethnic or religious group is inferior to mine, we're going to exterminate you. And you I mean, it's happening nowadays. Like it's happening nowadays in China. China is locked up, you know, million plus Uyghur Muslim folk too. Um, and that's not really getting the attention it, it warrants. And it happens in other places throughout the world too. 
Um, so in this case, again, going back to white supremacy is just, you know, like I think you said it enough that it's this belief that your one group is really superior in some ways, usually through intelligence or physical appearance. And therefore your claim to something or your desire to stay in control or trying to obtain power should be accepted. One, one of the ways this came up in early research too is, you know, white racist researchers trying to validate uh, white supremacy intelligence and setting up. And that's why a lot of folks nowadays will talk about and, and in the research say like the, the, the tests and the measurements themselves are also racist, that there are racial racialized tendencies, there's racist histories to these things. And it's really not a great indicator of intelligence. And we need to have more culturally diverse things and, and you're, you're reading examples, you're looking at stuff. It is not objective. People like, oh, the science is objective. No, it's not. Scientists have a history. Sciences are social constructs. They're made by people and they're therefore fallible. Yeah, I think one thing I, I someone, I can't even remember who said it, but if, if I'm not uncomfortable, I'm not learning. And I, I just thought that was so, that was such a short sentence that meant so much to me because when we are uncomfortable about things that have happened in history, uh, we don't want to talk about them. We don't want to learn about them. We don't want to. And that's really how you're going to move forward. And I think sport in particular, where you need to really embrace failure because that's how you learn. I think we should bring that into race as well. That's one of the great double speaks going on, right? It's, it's the, on the one side of your mouth, we got to have growth mindset and we got to learn and be challenged. And if you're comfortable, you're not growing. Okay. Well, yeah, I meant that for you, not about talking about race or equality or gender and sexism and xenophobia, yeah. like not about those things. Those things stay over there in the closet. We're not going to talk about those things. Yeah. We only talk about it in terms of, I want you to work harder, run faster, you know, throw the ball more. And so you got to practice, but we're not going to talk about these other well, those are the social things over there. No, 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 no. It's all together. It's biological, it's psychological, it's social, it's cultural. And you just explained our whole reason for being in this show and the site that, that we're creating that uh, is, is going to open up all of these doors. So we're going to have some more very uncomfortable conversations coming up. And I'd say, Maggie, you know, folks are listening, you know, obviously, right, we want people to leave a comment or review and that kind of thing, but send in feedback, right, team at sportlight.com and, and let us know what you're thinking, what your reactions are, uh, how did, you know, what's the next step in your progression, how can we help elevate the discourse and provide greater, again, we're all limited human beings, we, I've made mistakes, you've made mistakes, you know, I've said things here that other academics are going to critique. I know it. They are going to see me. They're going to email me. It's going to be at a conference in a book. You know, they're going to tell me I did something wrong too. It's going to happen. And that's okay. You know, that, learn. okay. Move forward. So we got progress. We got things we can help and get better, you know, and that's the vision to do sport better. And that includes all aspects from the physical the psychological, the social, it, it's all a part of sport.
Thanks for listening. Make sure to leave us a five-star review and hit the follow button because there's more sport knowledge on the way. If you're interested in more information or want to engage in further conversation about these and other issues in sport, visit our website at spknmedia.com. To stay updated on all things SPKN, follow us on social media at spknmedia or email us at team at spknmedia.com and we'll be happy to welcome you to the SPKN community.